0: Well, hello everyone. Welcome to another Connection Tech Experience podcast. Glad to have you on board here today. James Hilliard joined by three gentlemen. And they're going to help all of us understand a little bit more about uh, how manufacturing organizations out there can really be reviewing their networks these days uh, and embracing certain technologies that can help them with their business resilience, uh, as well as agility. We'll look at things like cost savings and improving uptime. We've got some stories to tell. I'm sure we'll drop some stats on you. Not too many, though, because we don't want to. Uh, overwhelm the brain with that but let me tell you who's on board and we'll get right into our conversation Ryan Spur is here from Connection. He's our Director of Manufacturing Strategy and Business Development. And I have two of Cisco Meraki's finest. We have Dave Martin on board, a systems engineering manager. And we also have Jordan Noonan on board, a solutions marketing manager. So, uh, to all three of you guys, welcome. What I want to do is kind of lay out uh, four kind of general areas, real high level of where we're going to go with the conversation. Um, One, talk a little bit about kind of where manufacturing was in terms of their digital transformation, reviewing their networks prior to COVID. Talk a little bit about then what that did to impact that journey. Where are a lot of our organizations now? I mentioned we've got some stories of transformation that we'll share. And then we also want to talk a little bit about some of the technology, especially from Iraqi, that uh, individuals can utilize. And it's not just future tech. It's not saying these are things you might be doing. This is stuff you could be doing now that maybe you're not aware of. And so we want to bring some awareness to the audience as well. Starting, uh, Ryan, with you, let's let's have you give us a high-level framework In, in your opinion. And again, you get an opportunity to talk to so many in the manufacturing space. Prior to the onset of COVID and the impact that had on the industry as a whole, where were a majority of manufacturing organizations? Were they in a good position to be upgrading their networks? Were they looking at a lot of new technologies? Were they still stuck in the stone ages? Where did you kind of see them? And again, we're going back about 18 months.
1: Yeah, it's it's interesting. I mean, we do talk with a lot of manufacturing clients and certainly, you know, pre-pandemic. And I think, you know, we sort of have three different categories of people pre-pandemic. We had those who had clear strategic objectives and were investing in a lot of the, the, the it's probably the two prong transformation activities, right? Mainly that was this idea of bringing in new technologies that we would typically associate with with the likes of Industry 4.0. And then the second piece was really, you know, this broader challenge that that we were dealing with around lack of people and a drive to automation. Um, and so, you know, you know I think, You know, pre-pandemic, this was an area where we had some customers investing. We had some customers who were starting to take a look at uh, establishing uh, plans of actions in terms of these two areas. And then I think, unfortunately, you know, probably over 45% are probably more in the area where they're in a wait-and-see posture, meaning they're not quite ready to invest in some of these new cutting-edge technologies in this space. And, And, of course, a lot of this has really changed um, you know, post-pandemic driven mainly by a lot of the headwinds and some of the other challenges that it brought about.
0: Well, Dave, I want to kind of jump over to you that idea of that there there, there were these kind of three unique groups. Uh, then COVID hits. We had a lot of teams that just had to react to what was going on. Jump us to today. Are you seeing that there are a lot more organizations that now are in the, we need a strategy, we need a plan mode, as opposed to that wait and see that we saw before?
2: Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think through COVID, there's been kind of two phases of of customer journeys. One is the reactionary, you know, holy cow, how do we roll up our sleeves and, and make the operation continue? And now that we're coming out of the tail end, it's what things are we going to maintain that are a result of COVID and what things are we gonna pick back up that are accelerated as a result of COVID, for sure. I mean, 4.0, is a, I'm, I'm glad you brought up uh, 4.0, Ryan. I mean, this this concept of industry 4.0 where data and, and visibility and automation is gonna drive us to this next generation, this this new uh, this new industry model um, was a real long game for most of our customers uh, across the board. I think that, goes, that's, that holds true for most of Cisco as well. Um, but now, you know, some of those things are becoming uh, must have table stakes to be able to become an agile, agile organization, to move quickly, to be data driven. And now, you know, with automation, that's also how we're coming out of COVID cobots and, and uh, automating the plant line so that we have less people interacting with each other.
0: Jordan, break down what some of those table stakes might be for us. And again, Ryan and Dave jump in here, too. Let's maybe put a list out there. What are some of those table stakes that we need to be thinking about these days?
3: Yeah, the the first one that comes to mind for me, James, is going to be Wi-Fi 6. Um, When you think about Industry 4.0 and you think about all the IoT connectivity that you need to be able to enable in order to take advantage of the data, in order to invest in digital lean and in order to really revamp your processes from a manufacturing perspective, you got to have that baseline layer of connectivity in place. And with all the devices and the workers in the factory moving around to different stations and things of that nature, Wi-Fi 6 is kind of that that slam dunk technology. So I think one of the main table stakes is just being able to enable connectivity in those physical spaces so that you can take advantage of some of those newer technologies. That's what comes to mind for me. I don't know, Ryan, Dave, what, what do you all think?
1: Yeah, I I completely agree. I mean, I think, you know, the other thing, you know, besides sort of the traditional um, improvements you get with Wi-Fi 6, I think, you know, in in a lot of the environments that we're talking about with manufacturing, you know, we also oftentimes have, you know, RF or signal issues, right? I mean, these are industrial nature environments with, with a lot of wearing of equipment and motors. And so this sort of disrupts the environment. And so I think, you know, next generation access points, for example, not only bring you You know wi-fi six but they also bring you you know ease of maintenance they give you better uh, troubleshooting utilities through the through the platform um and you know they give you a better experience for all these sorts of devices that we're talking about you know all the things that we might introduce into the environments around industry 4.0 or just sort of how do we change the way we collaborate and automate in the factory for example and this sort of this sort of unlocks a a whole different experience and and a better resiliency just just in general Uh, Never mind with the kinds of things that we saw uh, brought about by the pandemic. And I think, you know, there's some other things, too, you know, that people uh, we saw a lot of interest in and continue to see an acceleration around. And that's just simple things like power over Ethernet. I mean, I didn't really have as many conversations on this topic pre-pandemic, and I'm starting to see leadership think entirely different about how do I how do I how do I uh, power smart sensors and end user devices and intelligent touch screens and things like this? This is a whole different thinking. And it's not just about, let me buy the device and plop it in and connect it wirelessly. Maybe I wanna you know, bring POE down to the device because I wanna have power backup on that. And so there's, there's a lot of things that I think you know, we see fundamentally changing with our networking technology that makes it a better experience and drives productivity in the plants.
2: Yeah, I can, I can add to that, too. I mean, I think, you know, we, we went into COVID um, thinking that IoT was going to drive all the Wi-Fi 6 conversations. And as we come out of COVID, you know, we're seeing some interesting use cases that were kind of niched prior. So remote um, expert is a big one. So um, I think you and I were talking before, you know, my brother is a plant manager uh, or plant supervisor sorry, at an aerospace manufacturer and going into COVID. The, you know and I asked him you know how was that going how are you dealing with that what did things look like differently for you now that you know we're in this pandemic and he said you know the folks on the plant floor they can't go home I can't go home we still QA product but what did happen was all of the folks who engineered their products all their administration their leadership their decision makers were remote. And you can't just put a video conference system in the middle of a, you know, pretty rugged, harsh uh, uh, plant floor environment to make those decisions on the fly. So really slow down the operations. So some of the things they're tinkering with are bringing uh, video conference solutions or at least bringing that remote expert to the plant floor so they can help them repair things and keep the operation running without having to dispatch people. And and you need Wi-Fi six. You need high. um, uh, You need the plumbing. To support those types of use cases,
0: faster speeds, uh, better energy consumption, right? So that's where we get some of the cost savings. Uh, but one of the other things that I was aware of, I was reading a recent uh, blog post. That was one of the ones that Ryan wrote, and actually, I'll i direct you folks to that after uh, we get to the end of the podcast here. But it was things like having access points that uh, are are low spark emission, meaning that they can go into an environment where you might have a lot of chemicals or things like that, so that you don't have a fire issue or things like that. So it's no longer that one size fits all access point that we all, you know, saw back in the day. It's very unique now to individual situations.
1: You're absolutely right. I mean, I think broadly, you know, today's access access points do a whole lot more and are designed to support the kinds of industries they're going into. So to your point, James, it's no longer just about the carpeted world and providing, you know, uh, wireless to these sorts of spaces. But how do we bring wireless to every part of the business? And in some cases, you know, there are these industrial environments that have our customers have unique requirements, whether they're regulatory or you know driven by safety requirements that they have in their organizations. You know, we we could do a lot more with the technology today. So you know, it's 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 really important uh, to be making investments into this foundational infrastructure because it's the it, it is servicing every aspect of industrial transformation. And of course, um, you know, the newer technologies are fit for purpose for these sorts of environments.
0: I mentioned early on that that we dropped some stories on some people. So maybe we can start doing some of that, right? Because these access points go well beyond just granting access now to a network, right? There's so much more involved with them. So I'd love to kind of break down what other manufacturers that are further down this journey, what are they using their access points for besides just connecting uh, devices and people to devices, right? What are some of the kind of cool things they're starting to utilize out there? Aaron and Jordan, maybe we'll start with you.
3: Yeah, so it was an interesting, I, I don't have a specific customer story, but as I was listening to Ryan and Dave kind of regale us with, with some of those examples, I was thinking back to when I started at Meraki five years ago when I was a salesperson. And when somebody called in about wireless five years ago when I was a salesperson, basically the questions that came to mind for me were, cool, how many people do you have? And how big, how many square feet? Like how many square feet, how many people do you have? Because that was the calculus that I needed to figure out what to recommend to that particular customer. Now it's like customers don't even want to talk about the connectivity component of it. Connectivity is a non-starter, and now I want to talk about all the things that go beyond uh, traditional wireless applications. So it's not just about giving the customers connectivity and access. It's about what other cool stuff can I do with that as the foundation. So in the in the realm of manufacturing, uh, we talk about things like you know let's treat our workers like the assets that they are. Let's 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 understand where our workers are in the physical plant. Let's understand how processes are. Uh, are moving forward or not moving forward as a consequence of understanding where our physical workers are in the plant. Um, and then, you know, when we get into realms like APIs and some of the pre built solutions that we have that can just automatically get thrown on top of a Meraki wireless solution. Um, and I'll let Dave and, and Ryan speak to some of that stuff. But now we're talking about not just the baseline of connectivity, we're talking about some of the, I like to call it black mirror type applications. And that has a little bit of a negative bent to it, but, but really some of these new cool use cases that, you know, Aren't even real necessarily directly related to wireless connectivity, which I think is the really cool trend that we're seeing.
2: Yeah, so I mean, I, I definitely uh, can can add to that. I mean, so what's really interesting is this mind shift of the network as a platform now, and not just not just wires and cables and, and wireless connectivity. So, like Jordan was saying, we we have this platform that connects us and our devices and is always watching, whether it's through, you know, RF analytics, or we're watching through a camera using visual analytics, that data is then exposed to our partners. Our partners can then build on whatever is relevant to the business and customers can choose, hey, I face mask detection is really in, is really important to me and my business, whereas that same analytics could be used for somebody else tracking assets through a building. So it's an almost, um, you know, Once it's deployed, you can craft your solution on top of it as your business sees fit. So some of the really interesting use cases that we see across all industries right now using our technology, face mask detection is a great one, Um, people in capacity planning. You know, we have the same conversations with some of our manufacturing folks that we're having with, you know, some of the, in the restaurant and retail industry, you know, how do I manage 20%? How do I stay compliant with, you know, keeping people safe and at distance Um, and once I get there, how do I become nimble enough to move and adjust as the rules change, you know, as the, you know, as the markers change and, and the goalposts change? How do I stay, how do I stay productive and and operating as a business?
1: Dave brings up a really good point. And I think n- not only, not only does this technology, this foundational platform serve not just IT and the traditional, you know, data transfer requirements of an organization, but but it's unlocking all these other business use cases that are really critical to supporting the organization's industrial transformation. And I think, you know, one of the things that I think we've talked about in the past is this idea of obstacles towards, you know, investment and next generation networking. And I think, you know, one of the things that uh, you know I I, per, I personally see in the marketplace is there's sort of like three tendencies that we do in manufacturing the first is manufacturers tend to be by, by their culture lean six sigma focused and so we're very hyper focused on the exact roi i'm going to get with an investment and if it and if there's a bias amongst the business and leadership that just turning the crank and upgrading to a next generation why you know a uh, wireless device for you know is going to not really give me anything new or anything that's relevant to my business then i'm just going to get wireless right and so this is a bias that's sort of har- that that Prevent some organizations from moving, and so some leaders will say, "Hey, can I just get another year, or can I get another two years, or another three years?" And so this is this is something that kind sort of goes on in, in the manufacturing sector. Unless we really value and understand the technology, and then the other piece is really you know what we were just talking about. I think most folks don't they underestimate or they're not really aware of the capacity of these devices and what they can do for their organization. And so if you could understand that you could not only deliver you know outstanding experience for employees you could connect all the devices that are part of your industrial transformation and then you can unlock all these business outcome driven use cases for asset tracking and sarbanes oxley audits and all these other things it it starts to create this really a much bigger roi that doesn't just start with what do i get with an access point or a new switch it's okay what do i get with that plus this plus this plus this plus this and all of a sudden you realize in the lifetime of a, of a next-gen you know, Cisco Meraki access point, I can unleash all this innovation in my organization. I think that's the true power of, of the platforms that are coming out and are in place today.
0: Let me ask you, to the listener that's hearing what you just said, Ryan, and it was like nodding their heads and saying, yeah, I just had that conversation about stretching for another two years. Then who does that individual need to rally with in their organization? To start having the conversation, and then bring it back up to uh, you know the, the decision makers, the executive staff, or whatever, and saying no, 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 we can't stretch two years. This is why. What type of allies and what type of teams need to come together and have come together in other teams that are now being successful of getting this investment dollar?
1: Yeah, it's a, it's a good question, and it, and I think if if uh, an IT organization or an IT leader doesn't you know sort of have close relationships with other line of business leaders. You know, I, I, think, I think there are a couple areas that you could start with. I mean, the first is just embedding your teams and getting an understanding and creating relationships with factory management. I mean, factory managers and leadership have challenges each and every day, and, and largely they, they have oversight and, and budgetary decisions around what comes into these environments, and they know where their problems lie. And so to, to really understand what's going on in these environments, what are some of the initiatives that they're pursuing Right. These business process change initiatives, what kind of issues they have with their their workforce um, and what kind of things they're bringing into the environment. You know, are are they going to roll out a manufacturing execution system? Are they going to roll? Are they in the process of upgrading to a new ERP platform? Are they rolling out, you know, digital SOPs all 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 this, all these initiatives that are generally driven by the business are going to drive new technologies or new end devices right or new sensors or a new factory or whatever it is and so this is the opportunity for us to understand what those challenges are those pain points and what are the what are the problems they're trying to solve and then we can start to layer in how does the how does how does the platform enable and improve some of these things that that the business is trying to do so so obviously getting intimacy with with the factories and or the warehouse management and, and these tor- sorts of organizations are very helpful to, to sort of determine that.
0: In, in reading some of, of your recent posts, Ryan, and some other content out there, one of the things that I did realize about manufacturing specifically, and maybe, Dave, you can address this a little bit as it goes back to some of the kind of strategy conversation we, were, we, we are having here. Um, some manufacturing technology is built for long term. Right? We expect to bring in a new manufacturing machine and that will be on the factory floor for 10 years for 15 years. We can't just be shutting those down and doing little updates to things like that. So how does how does that aspect of manufacturing, I see that as different than say a retail store that has some point of sale machines, you can roll those out every couple, two or three years, no big deal, you're just swapping out some screens and blah, 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 um, right? That That's a challenge for I think a lot of organizations to think about is how do we merge these big industrial machines with these new modern networks and, and how do we make sure that they're still Compatible, they're working with each other. They're secure. I've thrown a lot at you, Dave. But what are some considerations people need to be thinking about there?
2: Sure. Yeah. I mean, the so from the conversations we're having with customers around um, how nimble they have to be, how elastic they need to be to be able to move with the market and change with demand. Um, you know, constructive and destructive manufacturing. Those those methods aren't moving as quickly as the demand and the the need to change. Um, And actually, we've seen some pretty interesting use cases where customers have retrofitted 1980s, 1990s technology um, to be able to communicate with the outside world. Now, of course, that brings up a lot of security conversations, um, but there are uh, we do have solutions and partners that we work with where they will bolt on to a legacy uh, paper mill manufacturer, for example, from the mid 80s and has connected all of those devices um, through IoT. To be able to deliver what's happening on the plant floor to uh, that data to the business and that's really the big driver the big driver for all of this is how do i get more data from the plant floor to make better decisions Jordan, on the security front, uh, that has to be
0: one of the lead conversations that you hear as you're talking to customers out there. And if they are going to bolt on some modern tech to these older devices, they're saying, how do we make sure there are no gaps in our security coverage? What's kind of the, the security mindset you encourage people to have when thinking about their operations these days?
3: Well, I think the elephant in the room is well. I don't even call it the elephant in the room anymore because I think people are pretty much largely over it. But just the cloud in general. I think when I started five years ago, there was a lot more trepidation with respect to security as there is than there is today. Um, I think you know my my answer when any whenever kind of security comes up in general when you're talking about you know distributed cloud management is just look at the scale, uh, look at the amount of time we've been doing it as an organization. Um, look at the amount of customers that we serve. Uh, we're talking about three million active networks worldwide, and just remember that we're part of Cisco, and we can leverage all the the great Cisco uh, intelligence and technology on the security side as well. So, you know, we're very uh, we're very confident in the security of our of our cloud infrastructure and our and our model. I think security concerns when it comes up when it comes down to like bringing in some of these legacy products and integrating them with the network that that's a that's a case by case basis thing. I'm not going to give carte blanche. Yeah, it's secure. I think it depends on kind of how you're doing and what you're doing. But uh, to the original point of, you know, we don't want to we don't want to innovate, we don't want to move forward because we have these potentially older pieces of technology that might not fit into that vision. uh, I, I would just say it's not an either or proposition, right? You don't have to, you don't have to throw those machines out to innovate. And similarly, you don't have to skew innovation in favor of those machines, either. Right? You can do both at the same time, and 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 certainly that that would be a, a path forward that I would recommend.
2: So quick one for the team here. So um, we we see a lot in the news, right, around security. Um, we're seeing pipeline vulnerabilities come come in play and affecting um, you know the East Coast from a fuel standpoint. But you know one of the things that I found really interesting is um, as I grew up over you know in in this in this field over the past decade or so is that it's not always about a security mitigation system too it's also about how much visibility do you have um and because there's always going to be efficacy improvements around security that everybody is doing and we're always going to be chasing that but the ability to have visibility across all of your manufacturing plants that used to work in these silos and kind of be their own PL and have their own operating mechanisms between plants having that level of visibility and being able to react as quickly as things happen is I think that's also an angle of security. That's, that's critically important for folks to, to consider.
1: Yeah. Dave, you bring up a good point. There's a, I bring this conversation up with manufacturing clients all the time, you know, and just I'll, get, I'll throw out some statistics because I talk about this subject so often, you know, the app, you know, <clears throat> this idea that we can, create this defensive mechanism and never be penetrated is sort of false, right? I mean, obviously you do everything you can. There's just no amount of dollars any organization can throw at this to fully prevent um, a vulnerability. And so, you know, there's some really interesting stats that I oftentimes talk to people about. First off, 74% of OT professionals have experienced at least one breach in the last 12 months, right? And so that goes back to Dave's point. How do you respond, right? To your point about the the legacy all these uh, disparate devices across many different, um, you know, business units over 50% in manufacturing over 50% of devices are unmanaged by it that means they've been brought in by the business over the years, and we don't have some of the traditional security mechanisms in place in terms of these in, in this environment and then lastly. If you, if you compare this to sort of like the traditional IT domain or the carpeted world, in, a, in an industrial environment, the average number of days to identify an industrial data breach is 191 days. Right? So think about that. So this idea of br- extending your network all the way to the edge to, to leverage uh, fully the... Uh, security tool suites that come with products, you know, from Cisco and Cisco Meraki, and then to be able to empower both your industrial teams and your IT and your security teams with with all the knowledge and logging and data they need so that they can get to root cause as quickly as possible is just going to better better position manufacturing organizations to counter when an event happens so that they're minimizing the impact to their organization. And and that, you know, that is the best thing organization, because these environments are so complex. I mean, you know, if you, you know, if you're gonna have 10, 20, you know, 20, 20 year old devices, you know, running in your environment, you've gotta be prepared for what happens after an event.
0: We've talked one stats, and I knew someone was going to bring up some stats, but that was a good job on you, Ryan. It was not overwhelming, so uh, kudos to, <laughs> to you on that. We've talked tech. We've talked some process. Can we talk just a, a moment on, on people? Is there uh, at all out there, in your observations, guys, uh, concern about uh, some of these upgrades and automations that may replace people? power and manufacturers do care about the people that they're employing and they're such a big asset to the creation of those uh, hard goods that we consume uh is there any trepidation there jordan let me start with you you've mentioned again a, kind of your journey when you came on many years ago right there was one idea and well now here's the current idea so so what say you that on the people process the, the people side
3: Yeah, I I mean, obviously, people is important in manufacturing, especially with automation that's happening. So I get I get where the question is coming from. But let me let me share that. Almost everybody I've ever sold to from Meraki, in some form or fashion has been worried that Meraki was going to replace them in the business, right? When we talk about hey, it's so easy to configure this. You don't have to sit down and do line by line configurations. You don't have to open a command prompt, right? That sounds great in theory, but then you have a bunch of people who have been doing this for 20 years that are like, I know how to do the command prompt. I'm the command prompt person at the company. What's gonna happen to me after this? Um, and I think that's a valid concern. Um, I think that's that happens with any kind of new innovation, but I, I'd like to kind of bring you back, and this is a little bit non-technical, but I think it's important nonetheless to kind of our mission statement as an organization and that is to free passionate people to focus on what matters the most and what we argue is that you know root cause analysis and digging through logs and going on site to troubleshoot is not what you probably value most as an organization so it's about taking the limited uh, and extremely valuable people assets that you have and repurposing them to do work that is more impactful and more important to the business so that's what I would say and I think you know, that's i think it's particularly uh a case in manufacturing because automation is going to really affect directly affect those plant workers you know the individuals who are doing the assembly who are doing some of the process stuff but I think at the same time this is age- old with technology and innovation it's like how can we then take that people power
0: and repurpose it uh, and, and and make an impact
3: in other areas of the business so that's how i would respond to that
0: and Ryan, we've talked before. It's about a, that, that kind of augmentation of the human workforce, not the replacement of the human workforce. I know
1: Dave has some some thoughts on this. so I'll let him follow up uh, from me. But yeah, I, I, I think Jordan's spot on. I mean, there, there's two things that kind of strike me. One, I have never met an IT uh, an IT organization that said, you know, um, we have. You know endless capacity and uh you know you know most it organizations are stretched thin um and so to have a platform uh as jordan speaks to make their job easier so they can focus on more uh, more important initiatives that are going to help uh the impact the bottom and top line growth of an organization is probably the right way to focus um and then secondly on on the worker front and you know you and i have talked about this in other formats james but you know, I was just listening to Bloomberg today and they were talking about a business survey where they said 45% of businesses simply can't find, locate or hire the talent they need. And National Association of Manufacturers who, who long does these studies just came out with an update last, I think it was like last week or so, talking about how the industry or the sector will face 2.1 million unfilled positions through 2030. So I, I think, you know, ultimately um, this sector is challenged uh, when it comes to to having the, the talent they need to grow. And I think they're gonna leverage technology to enable through it. I don't know, Dave, your thoughts?
2: Yeah, I was gonna add to the stats too. I mean, the manufacturing is a bit unique in the sense that they have an age gap issue that has been going on and kind of kicked down the road for a very long time. Uh, I was reading in industry week that um, 10,000 people a day of the baby boomer generation are retiring in the manufacturing space. And that 70, and Deloitte had um, uh, said that 71% of manufacturing organizations are concerned with their ability to, to fill those roles. So while automation is, you know, there's, there's, that, there's a concept that we will be putting people out of work. It's almost as though, I mean, I think most people will see this as automation is going to be a way for us to just keep pace there are dangerous parts within a manufacturing plant and there are lots of i would say when we talk to folks those are the pieces that people are trying to automate to make it a safer environment a more efficient environment but putting people out of work i don't think is going to be the top of the list yeah there's lots of jobs to be had
0: all right, guys, I got some information I want to share with our listeners. But I want to leave everybody with your thoughts of kind of what the future is. We've talked about that there's a lot of heavy lifting to do, right? There's going to be a lot of change going on in our manufacturing environments over the next several years. But I think that the goal is those changes will lead to a better, stronger manufacturing environment, especially here in the United States. But, but Dave, what's your thoughts? Where is manufacturing headed from where we've been, again, coming out? out of COVID moving into the next couple of years, what do you see?
2: Sure, yeah, I mean, I think it's exciting times. We've been status quo for a long time in the industrial space. And and I think that COVID, the, the new scenarios that COVID has brought to the table, they've really accelerated conversations we've been kicking down the road for five to 10 years. Uh, we have lots of exciting new use cases that are becoming commonplace in the manufacturing world. Um, with the onshoring of more manufacturing from demand and and desire in the U.S., um, as well as accelerating these initiatives, I think it's going to be a really exciting next five years for manufacturing. Lots of new jobs, lots of new people in the workforce, and a, and a chance to change the future for the better. Jordan, what say you? Yeah,
3: similar to Dave, I'm optimistic about manufacturing, and not just manufacturing, but most of the verticals that you know I have the opportunity to delve into. Um, the fact is complex problems are becoming easier to solve and don't rely solely upon the organization that needs to solve them to get them done. So we're really excited to be more inclusive of some of the other, uh, not only Cisco technologies out there, but just third-party partners who are just building cool things on top of our platform. So I think that there's a lot of, um, I think we talked about obstacles earlier. I think there's a lot of opportunity that you can capitalize on that maybe previously would have been uh, much more of a lift. So... Yeah, I'm excited to see where that goes. Ryan, final thought.
1: <laughs> uh, well, I think Dave and Jordan make some great points. I think bottom line, waste is everywhere in manufacturing organizations. And um, I think uh, th- this this new uh, impetus to invest in modern technologies is not only going to address some of the, the long ills in the industry that we've talked about in this podcast, but I think it's also going to unlock and usher in a whole new generation of manufacturing, one that's going to attract young, and it, you know, young talent into the workforce—something that's you know sort of really started to fade off um, in the last couple decades—and I think um, it's also going to radically transform over the next you know ten to twenty years how manufacturers do business, and it's going to make U.S. manufacturing competitive, <clears throat> and it's going to deliver better products and services to customers ultimately. So I'm extremely excited. It's uh, it, as Dave and Jordan said—it's
0: going to be—it's going to be really interesting. Folks, one of the reasons we wanted to have this conversation was to help you all have conversations within the walls of your uh, environment, your manufacturing space. You can obviously reach out if you have a relationship with connection to your account managers, your BDMs, get Ryan and team on the phone. They can get uh, any number of Cisco Meraki folks, maybe Dave, maybe Jordan, other team members online, right? Continue these conversations to find out what you need. If you want to join a larger community of conversations, you can visit our blog. uh, page. I'm going to give you a URL here. It's community.connection.com When you get there, click on the blog menu, click on industries and then select manufacturing. You'll see a couple of those items I've referenced that Ryan has recently penned. And again, for uh, all of you that are listening, regardless of platform, I want you to like, to follow and to share so that you can continue to get more tech experience podcasts coming your way. To Ryan, Dave and Jordan, appreciate the time. To all of you in our audience, appreciate your time as well. We hope that you all be well be safe and we do look forward to talking to you all down the road